Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Let's go to, uh, I'm going to find a couple of verses of scripture. If you go to um, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read in there. Would you stay right there with me just for a minute? Just help me right there. I'm sorry I should have told you that. Just stay right there and you can play what you was playing. That just helps me a little bit. So, Hebrews chapter 1. I had um, started writing something a while back, maybe, I don't know, maybe even about a couple months ago, and I never, I just wrote a paragraph and then just stopped, and you know how the Lord just helps and adds to, how many knows that we... We just all, I've really got just one message. I'm just growing in it. Amen. And so I want to preach this morning just don't show us the Father. We've talked a lot about God's love. How many believe that God loves you this morning? How many believe God likes you? I said, how many believe God likes you? How many people believe God likes you in this room? You know, we learned... Some few months ago, I preached it multiple times, but all sin starts with the characters, with the mischaracterization of God. Not seeing Him as a loving Father, not seeing Him as a good provider, not seeing Him as a healer. Come on, y'all. How many knows when He showed up to Moses, He said, I am that I am? So, you know what? I can stand today and say, I am healed because He is I am. I can stand today and say, I am, I am blessed because he is blessed. Come on, y'all. Listen to this. Paternal love, paternal love is revealed in the fraternal love of Jesus, our brother. Paternal love is revealed in the fraternal love of Jesus, our brother. In order to have any understanding of Abba, not of his essence, which remains unknowable, but of his character, we must look to Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Paternal love is revealed in the fraternal love of Jesus, our brother. In order to have any understanding of Abba, not of his essence, which remains unknowable, but of his character, we must look to Jesus. How many knows that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father? In John chapter 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus said, how long must I be with you and you still have not seen the Father? He said, for if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. So look at this out of Hebrews chapter 1. First of all, let me just read this to you. Psalms 33 verse 1 says, Behold and how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Many times we've quoted this verse as a potluck dinner, a fellowship meal at the church. It's good when we dwell together in unity. Although that may be great and grand, this verse is speaking of a far deeper revelation. And it is our unity with our elder brother Jesus. Come on, somebody. In John 17, when Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that they be as one as you and I are one. It is not talking about the Baptist, the Methodist, the Nazarene, or the Tangerine coming together as one. He said, Father, I pray that they would be complete in you just as I am in you. My God, come on, somebody. God wants unity with us and our elder brother. That's how blessed it is. It is as the dew that dripped upon Mount Hiram and run down the beard of Aaron. That is where the refreshing comes, not, not just when we fellowship with each other, but when we fellowship with our elder brother Jesus. So let's go on in this. Paternal love is revealed when? Where is it revealed? In the fraternal love of Jesus, our brother. In order to have any understanding of Abba as a father, not of his essence which remains unknowable, but of his character, we must look at Jesus. Now Philip said, ask and show us the father. 
Jesus said, look at me. He who sees me sees the Father. And we went over Psalms 133, behold how good and pleasant it is. It's not talking about potluck dinners and, and, and for us to just gather together in fellowship, but our fellowship with the Lord. Now let's look at Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews in verse 1 says, throughout our history, I'm reading out the Passion Translation, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time building one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. My God, that's good. The appointed heir of everything. For everything through him, God created the panorama of all things. And, and at all time, the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by his mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplishes for us the complete cleansing of sin and took his seat at the highest of the throne of the right hand of God, the majestic one. So in this verse we realize that I'm speaking English to us this morning. But when God speaks, he speaks what? In the language of a son. Throughout every parable, God was communicating his heart with us. Church, you going to help me this morning? Throughout every parable, God was, God was communicating his heart toward man and that his heart toward men is good. Now, I've been privileged to be at this for a while, and I've preached in a lot of churches, and I hear a lot of things. And one of the most common things that just a few weeks ago, we had tragedy in our family and my nephew grabbed me on Christmas Day, and this was the words he said to me. He said, Uncle John, he said, we, have not all, we, don't, we don't have it all right. How many people live their life on earth away from God because they don't have it all right? I thought the gospel was for the sick, not for the whole. I thought Jesus said, if a man's not sick, he have no need of a physician. I thought the gospel was for the imperfect, not for the perfect. If we were perfect and had no need of the gospel, Jesus would have never come. I don't care how many self-help books you read, friend, you can never change your life. The only way you could change your life is by giving up your life and finding life in him. Come on, somebody. For the Bible says if a man seeks to save his life, he shall lose it. But if a man loses his life for my sake, he shall find life. The gospel is not about attaining anything. It is about surrendering to what was already done for you on the cross. God is not asking he's not asking us to cry out for more he's asking us to yield to what's already available my God that's good Christianity is not about doing it is about being it is not about doing it is about being receiving something that is already there in most of my Christian life, I have worked hard to obtain a prize that I could have got simply by laying down and surrender alright so I feel like I'm on this journey. And I've been on this journey for some time through dreams and things that obviously like anything, when you start out doing something, you, you think it was going to look a whole lot different than what it is, than where we're at. I want to take our attention to Luke chapter 15 for the remainder of the time we have. And I want to go through these three parables. I've just been highlighted. I've been hanging out here for some time. And I want to go to... To this and pull some things out of this that I don't believe I pulled out before out of Luke chapter 15. In these three parables, Jesus reveals, God reveals himself in the shepherd. I love the way he writes that he reveals himself in the woman searching for the lost coin. Come on, y'all. How many knows when, when uh, William Young wrote the shack, the church couldn't even hardly receive it because God was an elderly African-American lady. How many knows the scripture says he's the breasted one? Come on. God doesn't, 
God doesn't mind violating our understanding of who he is and his word. Come on, somebody. He's not confined to that book you hold in your hand called the Bible. Come on, somebody. That revival, the Bible reveals God. It does not contain God. Let me just mess with you right here. Does the heavens hold God? Because Chronicles said the heavens of the heavens cannot contain God. He's so big you can never figure him out. Come on, somebody. If you understand the God you serve, you're not serving Yahweh. Come on. His ways are so much higher. His thoughts are so much further. I don't have him figure out this morning. And what I do know that the mark of maturity is not how much revelation we have, but how much mystery that we cannot understand about God, but yet we still fall in infallible trust knowing that he's a good father. Even when I don't understand it, even when I can't figure him out, I still trust that he's God. I still trust that he's good. Come on now. Oh, I'm going to try to calm down. So in the parable of the lost coin, he's the lady searching. In the first parable, he's the good shepherd. That is Jesus, our elder brother, the shepherd. In the second parable, the woman uses the light of illumination to find the lost coin. That is the Holy Spirit that is always illuminating the path before us. And in the third parable, it is the parable of two sons. Notice how it went to a hundred sheep leaving 99, going after the one. Now it went to 10, going after one. Now it's after two, looking for one. And the last is the parable of the father the story of two sons. The church has set that up as the prodigal son because the King James commentators named him a prodigal son. You with me now? But it is the story of two sons. It's not about one son that was some harlot uh, uh, whoremonger trying to live his life, but it is the story of two sons and both sons had a misunderstanding of who the father really was. So let's look at this. In the first parable, Jesus is the good shepherd that loves. And left the 99 to go search for the one. He never stops until he finds it. When he finds the one, he places it on his shoulder, carrying it with cheerful delight, never beating the lamb down for being lost, only to carry it back to the flock. Look at the picture of the good shepherd, how he finds the lamb. The scripture says he places it on his shoulder. I love that so his ear could be right to his mouth. Come on. My sheep know my voice. How many knows that there's times that we all need the shepherd to carry us? But I was raised, let me just say this. We all speak with accents, right? It is no doubt you can tell that I'm born and raised just outside of New York City. You can hear that in my communication. You can tell that in my dialect, in my register, how I speak. I say window instead of window. Come on. We say y'all instead of you. You can tell by my dialect and my register that I, I am clearly born in the South. Come on. But let me just say this. Just as we speak with accents, we also see with accents. Listen to me. We see in the Bible what we are prepared to see. This is why I remember when I was a young boy, my, my hero was Rod Parsley, and he, he said this one time, he said, if you don't have a Bible that you can write in, he said, put that in a glass case and go get you one you can write in. Now, I'm all for writing in the Bible, but let me tell you why my Bible is not marked up. It is not because of a lack of reading, but I never want to approach the text and, and, and have something written, written that I heard Steve preach on and think that that is the deepest meaning of the text. How many knows that the Bible is alive this morning? Come on, we all believe that in here. It is a living book. Come on, somebody. Hebrews 4.12 says that that word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It heals and divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is a living book in your hand and when I approach the Bible I want to approach it as a student as a novice not as some skilled theologian and I approach the text and I say God I want to see you afresh in this how many of those texts you have read your entire life and then one night you jump into bed and you just glance at the text and it's like it comes alive and dances before you that is God releasing the rhema word right now into your spirit off of the logos word so we see what we're prepared to see. Now, Kathleen was raised up in a Southern Baptist church, First Baptist. So she was taught 
from a very young age that she couldn't lose her salvation, that she was sealed to the day of redemption. My upbringing, on the other hand, came from the Pentecostal church. We could lose it just as sure as you had a bad thought. It's quiet up in here. Anybody raised in the Pentecostal? I thank God for my heritage. Now, come on, somebody. And she speaks in tongues today, so she made a transition somewhere outside the lenses of what they believe. I never could. And it's amazing. How many knows that the church is segregated and divided on only about 3% of doctrine? Why do we fuss about things that don't make no sense? If you don't want to speak in tongues, don't speak in tongues. But I would not attend a church that forbade you to speak in tongues because Paul said, forbid them not to speak in tongues. You with me? I'm not going to get into argument over tongues. But if you want to study on the Holy Spirit, just to give you a great plug, if you'll read John Bevere's book, The Holy Spirit, or anything you could get by Randy Clark, is fascinating on the Holy Spirit, okay? So we see in the Bible our approach to Scripture what we are prepared to see. So she was raised in the Baptist church, and she would read Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, a whole lot different than the way we read it in the Pentecostal church. In the Pentecostal church, we would read, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And tongues of fire set upon each of them. And they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And we were looking with anticipation that somebody that day was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In her church, it was read as if it was already complete and the gifts were gone away because the canon of Scripture had been completed. So it was more of a sensationalist doctrine that they are no longer for today. You with me? Just giving you a few examples of how we see in the Bible. But in our church, a lot of fear was used that if you don't get it right, God's going to get you. And we heard that from the pulpit. We might have sang about the goodness of gospel, uh, the goodness of God and the goodness of the gospel. How many knows the gospel means good news? Good news. Good news. We might have heard, we might have sang about God being good, but after leaving, after leaving, after we heard what was preached for the next 45 minutes, we were all scared to death. How many knows you will never change your life by being afraid? Because the kingdom doesn't operate on fear. And we had this group that would come called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. How many ever seen that? That's where they would come to your church, meet the people in there. They would get the actors from the congregation. Then at night we would do it, and then they would give these scenarios of people dying. One, you know, whichever way the tree falls, that's the way it lies. They would, they would show people dying, and, and then they would show the lights would flicker off and flames would shoot out this tomb or whatever up on the stage, and they would come out and drag people and just drag them down into hell screaming and crying. Well, how many knows after you've seen something like that, everybody's ready to give their heart to the Lord? I'm not diminishing the teaching of hell, but I'm just simply saying that if you scare people into the kingdom, you're going to have to constantly use fear to guide them. And here's the thing, none of that is orchestrated nor authored by God because God never uses fear. He never used fear when he showed up on the scene with Jesus. He only used goodness. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Come on, somebody. It is undeserved mercy and grace that calls you to call upon God. And if love got you, love will keep you there. Now, so we've got to somehow, how do we close this gap theologically? That God is a just God, but yet he's full of mercy. How many knows that God is just? The wages of sin is what? Death. How many believes that is true? That the wages of sin is death. It did bring death. How many believes that? But what is also true is by one man's disobedience, death reigned into the world, Romans 5, verse 18. By another man's obedience, righteousness reigned in the world. Come on, somebody. And the Let me just, some of you looking like, I don't know if I believe him. Let's just look right here. Go to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to get back on one thing right here. Go to Luke chapter 1. I want to read this to you because... Luke chapter 1. 
Because what I'm trying to go after is this right here. In my nephew's statement was this. Uncle John, we've not done it right. So tragedies befell my family. Let me tell you this, regardless of what you believe in this room, whether you be Catholic, whether you be Pentecostal, whether you be Mormon, whether you be where you be Buddhist, whatever religion you are, life's gonna happen to everybody. There's, there, there's nothing gonna change that life happens. The only thing's gonna change whether you got hope in what happens. To the Buddhist, he has no hope. I don't care how many times he wants to rub that statue's belly because he's still in the grave. Come on, somebody. We are the only religion that serves a God that got up on the third day that sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession to you and I. I'll never forget when I was a teenager, I had a gothic kid to come to me as his youth pastor, and he said, I don't believe none of what you're saying is real, and I don't believe God's real. And he said, how are you going to prove to me that God is real? I sat all up all night trying to study the Scripture. How am I going to prove God's How am I going to prove? he's real he's real so I went back the next night and this is what I preached I know he's real by my own experience and my own encounter and my own changed life I'm living proof in this room that God is real friend that he can take a messed up 18 year old boy that is bound down by everything you can possibly be bound with there is a God who really sets us free and his name is Jesus come on somebody now look at this in Luke chapter 1 I get the screaming from my Pentecostal heritage, okay? This scares you. I got to find this verse. Look right here in verse 78. The splendor of light, the splendor light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in holy visitation. All because the merciful heart of our God is so very tender. He is a judge, but is also merciful. Because he's just, he had to judge. And instead of judging you, he judged his own son. My God, this is good, y'all. I can't get nobody to believe this in this room. Because he is just, he had to judge. Come on, somebody. Because sin causes death, there had to be death. And instead of God taking it out on you, he took it out on himself on the cross in the image of his son. Come on, somebody. And he writes this crazy verse in Isaiah 53 that it pleased God to crush him. Why did it please God to crush him? Because Jesus was not going to, he might have been, he was the firstborn among many brothers. Now Jesus is not the only son of God you and I have been adopted into this family whereby we cry Abba Father look at this oh my God look at this the splendor light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in holy visitation all because of the merciful heart of our God is so very tender the word from heaven will come to us with dazzling light to shine upon those who live in darkness near death's dark shadow and he will illuminate the path that leads to the way of peace God's heart towards us this morning is tender so listen to this we don't have it all together I don't have it all together and I stand with great confidence knowing that you don't have it all together Nobody don't have it all together. Joel Osteen don't have it all together, friend, this morning. T.D. Jakes ain't got it all together. And the beloved Bill Johnson don't have it all together. Come on, somebody. We're all in need of God's goodness and His grace. Now, so in the first parable, He's showing us that He is a good shepherd as an elder brother, that He takes notice of the flock. And when one goes astray, He does not give up. God help us, right? He doesn't give up the pursuit of the one that is lost. Aren't you not thankful that God never gives up? When your parents gave up, when your friends gave up, when your teachers gave up, come on somebody, when your family said you would never change, God never gives up. He's in constant pursuit. In the second parable, there's a lady she has 10 coins and she loses one. And she's sweeping the house trying to find where it is. And she rejoices that the coin has been found. And the parable says that God rejoices over one sinner that repents than a hundred righteous persons. Come on, somebody. 
the coin that she lost was a silver coin in today's time would be worth almost $1,200. How many knows if you misplaced $1,200 in the house, you'd be looking for it? Spring, clean, uh, spring cleaning just started. Come on, somebody. <laughs> My boys, if you pull up in our yard, you're guaranteed to find a baseball. And a Wilson 1010 is worth about how much? $7.50. So I found... I would see them laying in the yard, and I would ask my boys, I said, would you, would you pick $7 up off the ground? Yes, Daddy. All right, well, get that baseball up because that's what it costs. We have a bucket. It used to run over. We had an extra bucket. Now it's about three-quarters full, and they don't know what happened to the baseballs. Somebody come got them, I guess. The woman is sweeping the room, and she finds the coin. In her coin would be an image that was on that coin of a Roman authority and she rejoiced when she found it now let me give you this revelation even though the coin was lost in its lost spot in its lost place did it lose its value I can't get no help in here oh yeah 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 he got a book me over there at Crusaders where I can hear somebody talk about in the lost place did the coin lose its value? See, when I was raised, when somebody slipped and fell out of the church, this is how we explain that. They didn't have it to start with. They never had it. If they would have got the real thing like I would have got, they would have never failed. I don't know about you, but I've read the Bible. Come on, somebody. And it says the righteous fall seven times, but he gets up again. Come on, somebody. Instead of talking about they didn't have it, why don't we talk about what they had and what they still have in the lost place? You're still valuable. Come on, somebody. And what makes you valuable is not you, but it's the image you bear. Come on, somebody. Because just like that coin had an image, you bear the image of the Son of God. And he has sealed us to the day of redemption. He has stamped us with his own seal, saying, That is my beloved child. Oh, gosh. John chapter 16 says this. Gotta do something with my hands. Hold these things. I, I can't, I gotta do something with my hands. Fill up five. Let's just, let me just go right here because I, I ain't got time to do all this. The, because the coin being lost, it never lost its value. How many people of the South need to hear this? I'm telling you, man, we struggle in the South. The reason why we struggle in the South because we called the Bible Belt. And most people preach the Bible to us was unqualified to even communicate the Bible. If you've never had, my God, I feel it. If you've never had an encounter with the love of God, you are unqualified to teach to me about a God you... But if you've ever experienced his mercy, if you've ever experienced his goodness, if you've ever been down and out when everybody said you would never make it and you got back up, then you qualified. How do you know that a woman changes a whole entire city? When Jesus showed up to her, he said, where's your husband? She said, I'm not married. He said, you said, right, you've had five husbands, and the one you're shacking up with right now, you're not even married to. But he said, I've come to tell you today what you're searching for in that well. You're never going to get happiness. You're never going to get peace. You're never going to find it in the bottle of a vodka. But if you will drink from the water of life, you shall never thirst again. She went back into that city and said, let me tell you of a man that didn't hold my sins against me. I said I was something. Come on, somebody. When every man rejected me, he was, I found the lover of my soul in whom my soul delights, and he changed my life. And the scripture says that whole city believed on her account. So we got icicles to go to seminary. Mm, God, I'm going to get some hate mail. I love it, though. That go to seminary study something out of the Bible and we think we're qualified to stand before people and teach it. People. Mm. The church in the South is overfed and malnourished because it lacks the meat of the teaching. 
The meat is not the deep things of the scripture. The meat, Jesus said in John 4, my meat is to do the will of the Father. So the meat of God is when you can operate out of the revelation you have. My God, the church is overfed and malnourished because we don't know how to operate of what we already have. And one of the things that have plagued the church in the South is fear. Fear is what shut Timothy down. He said, Timothy, start fanning the flame, the gift of God that is within you. What shut it down? He writes about it. Timothy, for God has not given you that spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Shake that timidity out of your life and operate in the gift. What caused me to be fearful that God is angry with me? What caused me to be fearful that God's going to punish me because I made a mistake? He who has fear has not been perfected in love, 1 John. For fear has to do with punishment. God's not angry this morning. Oh, you don't understand what's going on in California. They're going to break off in the ocean. They're just going to fall off in the ocean. Man, I'm, 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 yeah, yes, help me, Lord. Baptize me with love and compassion and mercy. Listen here, if you can't stand, listen, it don't don't take no faith to believe that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I need somebody to stand up and prophesy some faith. Come on, somebody. And there's going to be a massive awakening in San Francisco. Come on, somebody. Listen, you think, if, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to, let me, let me just. Right here, I'm on this limb, okay? If God could not in an old covenant, in an inferior covenant, with under the blood of bulls and goats, if he could not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah till Lot and his family got out of there. Come on, somebody. How do you think that God's going to destroy in a better covenant, in a new covenant, California with people like Jack Hayford, Bill Johnson, Che Han, and all of the great work of God and Sean Bolts out in California? Come on, somebody. Get your head out of the religious cloud that you've been in. And God doesn't judge a city by the wickedness in the city. He judges a city by the light in that city that's got it hid under a bushel. Oh, Lord. Now, we flying pretty quick. Listen to this. Here's the last parable. The one son got his money, left left. Had a short success, then lost it all. His response to failure was, I can never put this behind me. I will always be known for what I did. Maybe the Father will allow me to bunk with the hired help and let me receive a small salary. Understanding this text right quick, that the son did not receive wages paid to him, right? The hired help got a check because the son never received a check because he was living out of what? Inheritance. The father would work him as an apprenticeship program till about the age of 30. At the age of 30, the father would go start another business and give him that business or purchase a business and put him in that business. I ain't got time for a side note, but the Lord God did give us power to create wealth. And wealth creation is found in business ownership. I I can't get on that, but that's a big rabbit and he's jumping. You know what I'm saying? But I got to stay the course here. So the son was going to devalue himself because of his mistake and, and, and realize he could never have an inheritance because he blew what his father had given him. So I'm going to return back to my father's house and at least maybe he will allow me to have to bunk with the hired hands and maybe receive a small wage where at least I won't be eating the slop of the pigs. Now let me, let me, under, let me, let me just state this. We cannot undervalue the destruction that sin causes. Remember when the devil was cast out, they, they, Jesus, that the devil asked Jesus, he prayed to Jesus, come on. And we got some of the church sitting up here. If it be thy will, I ain't got time to address all that. Listen here. But I can tell you this. If you're in a service and people up here praying for healing and they start the healing prayer out by it, if it be thy will, nobody's going to get healed. I can tell you that. I'm not trying to be some smarty britches, but faith cannot exist where the will of God is not known. So when you approach God first, you must believe that he is God. Come on, somebody. He is a healer. If you're going for healing, you get out of your seat, and this is how you, whatever I came in with today by George is leaving me because I'm on an encounter of the living Christ. That's how you walk in healing.
Dr. Hagen would just kneel about. I mean, he wouldn't even put up with it. Dr. Hagen, you believe if God can, he would, maybe. Could we be healed next? Be like, well, he just mean. Jesus, my daughter, lay home vexed with the devil. He turns and looked at her and said, it's not meat for me to cast the, the children's bread to the dogs. See, a lot of us would have left right then. Called CNN and said, the preacher just called us a dog. I'm going to be like one of the hired hands. Maybe Father will have some mercy. Maybe he will have compassion. So the whole time this son is living in the presence of the Father, but yet he never at one time caught a glimpse of his Father's goodness. How many people attend church every Sunday, call themselves a Christian, tithe, give, serve in the church, and attend weekly, but never get a glimpse of the goodness of the Father? I will tell you like this, if the height of your Christianity is a Sunday morning expression, you are the most miserable. Lord, I had to calm down. He returns. He's already rehearsed what he's going to do. So he's returning home now, expecting to hear the father say, I told you you couldn't handle it. I knew you was a sinner from a long time ago. He's expecting all of this God's going to say to him. But God's revealing his heart to us in our worst place. Now he's making it home. He's making the track. He's finding the journey home. Notice when he arrives at the house that the father's not camped out in front of the TV. That the father is gazing the horizon in expectation that you're going to come to your senses. This shows the pursuit of God. People ask me, says, well, I don't understand why this good person has to die. Why, why can't somebody evil do? that shows you the grace and the love of our God that he's not willing that any should perish but all come to the knowledge? Well, why didn't God just stop it? This, I heard one woman that lost a child. Why didn't God just stop it? C.S. Lewis said this, for the author, the author of the play, when he comes out on the stage, the play ceases to exist. It shows you the mercy of God. For the author of the play to stand on the stage, we're all stopped in eternity at that moment. Come on. So let's look at this verse. You all right? Trying to finish up. I ain't even got to the main points, but we gonna, we gonna, I know how to fly out a plane, okay? So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. God's excited about me this morning, and God's excited about you, friend. Not only does God love you, he absolutely adores you and likes you. You are the apple of his eye. Listen to this. Compassion the English does not do this word justice. In the Greek, when Jesus was moved from the move with compassion, it literally means it came from his bowels. His, his entrails swelled up within him. His heart poured out towards them. When he looked at them of having shepherd as, as sheep uh, with no shepherd going astray, and he looked and says, we can't, we can't leave them tonight. We preached too long. I, I've been teaching all day. We've got to give them something to eat. They cannot make the trek journey home. What happened was compassion was moving in his heart. Listen to this. Every time compassion swelled up in his heart, it moved to action. I will tell you this this morning. The reason why we see little action in the church in the south is because we have lost compassion. I can't get no help up in here, but I'm going to preach it anyhow to the live audience and those that stayed at home because it rained. The reason why little action is in the church of the South is because we have lost compassion. We have forgot where we came from, friend. Compassion. 
Compassion means to suffer with, to endure with, to struggle with, to partake of the hunger, nakedness, loneliness, pain, and broken dreams of our brothers and sisters in the human family. Compassion. His father had compassion. When this God of justice looked at a son that had blown his money, blown his wealth, lived wicked, instead of revealing judgment, revealed compassion. If one can be trusted, if one could be trusted with such revelation is that God loves you and likes you, one can believe in the true essence of who Yahweh is, a contender and compassionate God. Brennan Manning, one of his last works that he wanted to leave was a fiction novel called The Prodigal Son. I picked it up on, I think, Friday morning and finished it up last night. I could not lay it down. It's one of them books, like one of those books. Tell I'm from the South. See how my English is a little. And I'm married to a teacher. I'm married to the Holy Spirit that brings correction. <laughs> Them and those and us and I's and we's and ours is and are. In his fiction novel, he wrote of the prodigal son. He shares a story of a man by the name of Jack Chisholm. You okay? I'm long-winded if you don't know that by now. And Jack Chisholm is a young preacher in Seattle. He's a superstar in the church. Skinny jeans, Chelsea boots, the latest, the latest, the latest cool threads from Saks is on his body. 10,000 are in his congregation and thousands are watching him in campus churches on screen as he preaches the gospel. He has perfected his message down so much that he knows when the crowd will gasp. He, he knows when to turn to look at the camera and smile the great veneers that have been given him by the greatest dentistry in Seattle. He knows how to look in the camera after the service to make the social media buzz go for days of what just happened in the service. Jack Chisholm is not only pastoring thousands of people, his work goes worldwide. He's on a plane every Monday flying to a new destination where Grace Cathedral has got work all over the globe. Jack found himself stranded in Mexico with his assistant. He was warned by two of his elders when he hired this assistant. Maybe this is not the problem. I, I do not think you need to travel with such a lovely senorita. Jack said, do you not understand? I'm the people's pastor. God's man. He continued his work. Being stranded three days in Mexico with his, with his assistants, the little senorita, Jack fell. Not only did he fail because of his face being all over the billboards and all over the screens and all over the internet and social media, someone took pictures of Jack in a bar Mexico he returns home only to find that the news had beat him there come on how many knows the news is traveling friend you understand today's world that you and I live in this prodigal son this would have been all over social media everybody in the town would have knew his business it would have, the headlines would have read like this Pastor John cannot control his son's wild living. Folks, real life stuff is this. Children get pregnant out of wedlock. That's real life stuff. What you gonna do, stone one of our teenagers cause they get pregnant out of wedlock? Kill them with the law? Are you going to wrap yourself around them and love them and show them the more excellent way, which never fails? Come on, somebody. I told my children this. I'm not going to be happy if you drink. But if you do, 
you call dad, don't get behind the wheel of that truck. I could give a rip what someone thinks about a preacher going to get their son that's drunk. I can tell you this, I will get out to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning and go get him and love him all the way back to the house. Don't try me on that, by the way. <laughs> so Jack, his elder, tells him, Jack, you've got to own up to your sin. I believe we can help you through this, but you've got to own up to some things. Jack said, listen here, I'm the people's pastor. You're not going to come in my office and talk to me because I'm the people's pastor. All of this I have built, this came through my gift, not your gift. None of this existed until I showed up. So this put Jack on a journey. And now Jack flies back to Mexico and he's living in a hotel room. And he's still got the church's American Express until they finally track him down that he's in Mexico and they cancel the American Express. And Jack Chisholm's laying in a hotel floor with a, with a fifth of tequila laying on his chest where he'd been drinking for days. And he hears this knock at the door and he screams and hollers and tell him that he's going to jump on the balcony because he thought it was the hotel workers coming to kick him out. But what Jack had done 10 years prior to this, he had lost his mom. And he started every sermon. His, his quote of his sermon was this, we've got to do better. Church, we got to do better. We're unworthy of his love and we've got to do better. We're unworthy to call ourselves a believer. But we've got to do better, which is the predominant message that is being preached this morning in the South. We've just got to do better. And he was preaching at his mother's funeral, and he stood up, and he said, we've got to do better. And his dad stood up from the congregation as to almost defy the message he was preaching at his own mother's funeral. And Jack, through his embarrassment, walked clean out of the church and never spoke to his dad again and it had been 10 years. So Jack's laying in the hotel floor and he hears the knock. And he said, I'm not letting you in. And then he hears a voice and it's the voice of Tom Chisholm, his father, saying, Jack, I've come to take you home. All throughout that journey, through this journey, Jack Chisholm meets a Catholic priest by the name of Father Frank and Father Frank helps disciple young Jack all the way back to the pulpit and Frank's had his share of problems where he had failed to alcohol three times Father Frank in the book is Brendan Manning because it happened to him in the natural life man I feel the Holy Ghost in this room and Frank helped shepherd him back and, and his dad said Jack we don't have a preacher and the one we got can't speak. Can you just say a few words at our church? He said, Dad, are you asking me to preach at St. Paul Lutheran Church? A Lutheran church. But finally he agrees to say a few words. And the next Sunday he agrees to say a few words. And in the process he began to realize in this little bitty town of Mayfield, Texas that was falling apart, businesses closing up left and right, the one that was in green south, the 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 greenish world when I say that means eco friendly Seattle with Starbucks on every corner was now living in Mayfield Texas having to drink Maxwell House so his dad owned a hardware store I'm trying to finish this up you okay you staying with me alright we getting close to the airport okay so his dad owned a hardware store and had been in their family for three to four generations and Jack now is finding out he's got to do real labor of loading lumber trucks and he can't hardly move even though he had worked out in the gym. He found, it, he found out real quick that toting shingles and loading tubal sixes, Jesse, ain't the same as hitting no gym. He couldn't hardly make it. And his dad told him, he said, son, if you're going to make it in Mayfield, Texas, you got to get those skinny jeans off and here's you some money to go get you some real pants. Hello. Not knocking the skinny jeans. If I, was, if I was 170, I'd wear them too. Listen to this. You just be who you are. Listen to this. When you walk in imitation of someone else, you forfeit your own purpose. I'll say that again. When you walk as an intimidate, as an as a imitation of someone else, you forfeit your own purpose. 
and you tell God your unique design according to Psalms 139 was not good enough. Just be who you are. So Jack goes to the store and he finds him some Wrangler boot cut. And he gets him a pair of Ariat square-toed boots. And he's still got his T-shirts. This is what he walks in. And instead of going to the pulpit in the $2,500 Versace, he's going to the pulpit in Wranglers, square-toed Ariots, and a T-shirt. There was a lady there in the church by the name of Miss Calhoun that played the organ. She needed some shingles to go in her house. And her dad and his dad they sold her the shingles or whatever. Two young guys come by and said they were going to put the roof on, snatched her money from her, left, and just stuck her with the job. So she, as Jack delivered the stuff out there to her house, she was crying and upset and said that she was a stupid woman. She had gotten taken. And Jack said, I want you to go to church tomorrow and pray for a miracle. He himself now was in Mayfield, Texas, lost his church, lost his money, lost his wife, lost his kid. He's telling her to pray for a miracle. She goes to church that morning to pray for a miracle, and Tom asked, this is before he agreed to speak, Tom asked his son, will you go to church with me this morning? He said, not this morning, Dad. But he took off when his dad went to church, and he took off to the hardware store and got the needed supplies to re-roof that woman's house. One neighbor happened to look out the window and seen Jack on the roof roofing the house. He realized he was the shop teacher at the high school, so he joined in. By the end of the day, they had 40 to 50 people on top of this house and was able to knock the roof out in one day. And what Jack realized was it's not about video cameras and it's not about large campus ministry. It's about the simplicity of the gospel of the good God, learning how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, helping your neighbor out in need. What if the church just gave up? Listen, I, I could get, I could. What if the church just got back to the simple thing of loving your neighbor as yourself, knowing that God loves you, and instead of judging your neighbor for what they do, show them a more excellent way. Show them the real gospel. Come on, somebody. Listen, the Bible says we are living epistles written and read by all men. Listen, we should all be preaching and only use words if necessary. Your lifestyle should be communicating to your neighbor. My God, they got something different. phenomenal book if you want to read it. Listen to this. Compassion. What's, what, what's, what, what? Listen to this. So now the son says, Father, he don't even understand. He, he, he don't understand the father. He, he's seen him still angry through the lenses that father's a wrathful God. He's fixing to get me. But tenderness is coming in the father's heart. He's moved with compassion. Move with compassion. And so now he's fixing to release his speech. Father, I've come, I've come home to, I'm trying to be like a hired help. And his father immediately abruptly, he interrupted him. He said, You're my beloved son. You've come home. He immediately screams out, listen to this, get this before you leave. He immediately screams out to his service, bring me my very own robe. What clothes did the son have on when he showed up? Beggar's clothes. There is no there's no point in this text that the son ever removed the beggar clothes from his body, but simply the father laid over the beggar. Simply the father laid over the beggar his very own robe. I want to ask you, what if you looked in the mirror and you saw God's righteousness instead of your failure? I'm preaching something up in here. What if you looked in the mirror and you saw God's goodness instead of your weakness? What if you saw God's perfection instead of your imperfection? Remember, all sin starts with the the mischaracterization of God. And A.W. Tozer said this, what you believe about God, what you believe about God is the most important thing. What if I got up in the morning So you know what? The reality is I got sick and tired of being pushed up in the front line at Hardy's for the 95th time. 
And I actually cussed them people. Those people, there's my English again. Don't look at me. Listen, I ain't cussed nobody's at Hardy's, okay? Calm down. Like y'all don't cuss. Oh, there it is right here. You hear hate mail coming. Our goal is just to quit cussing less. Look at the people, man. I'm telling you, they blowing it up. I can't believe he said that. I cannot believe it. He's the main one we're working on. Listen, whatever it is, whatever it is, what if I looked in the mirror and I didn't see my mistakes because my mistakes are covered by his robe? not my robe because my robe is a beggar's robe but his robe is a robe of righteousness oh I feel him in this room friend what you got to understand about your father is he's moved with tender compassion towards you all he wants is a real relationship he does not love long distance relationships he wants a close relationship and let me give you let let me close with this Pentecostal church, we called it saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. The old saints would say it like this at testimony time. Pastor, in 1972, I was saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. If you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost since 1972, you are beyond empty, friend. Let me update your theology. In Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be ye not drunk with wine, wear an excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. That's a continual drink. I believe in being saved, and I believe in sanctification, and I believe in being filled with the Holy Ghost. But what I don't believe is a teaching that you've got to clean up outside the walls of the church before you can make it inside the church. How many people in the South tell me this? Come on, Pastor, I don't even know if that building will be standing when we walk in there. I said, listen, if it ain't fail now, it ain't going to fall. Come on, somebody. The reason why it's standing is not because of what you're doing in here, because what God's already done in here, and he made you qualified and accepted. Trust is this, to accept the fact that we have been accepted in the beloved I trust God because he's already accepted me not the way I will be but the way I am well you know preacher God loves you the way you are but he loves you too much to leave you the same that's an oxymoron and it contradicts the statement God loves me not in spite of my sin but in my sin So the father stops him. Hey, quit, quit with your mess. I know you've rehearsed this about two or three weeks now. Hush up with that. Go get my robe, put it on me. Covered up his, covered up his beggar's coat with his own coat of righteousness. Goes back. We ain't got time to preach all this. We fix your clothes, okay? I'm getting hungry. Anybody else? Well, I ain't ate since about four o'clock yesterday. I'm hungry, okay? So the older brother, he hears, now now things have changed. The father's house is lit up. I mean, stuff's happening. I mean, the father's got, I mean, he's got some music cranked up. They've got the fatted calf killed. Partying's going on. And the older brother looks through the window and sees the dancing and sees the celebration. Friend, I can preach down here until I'm blue in the face. But until you walk in the front door, all you're ever going to do is look through the window. How do I walk through the front door then? Preacher, it simply starts right this. Father, I realize I can never even live up to my message. Let me go this. How many knows who James Robinson is? Life today. Let me tell you what you may not know about James Robinson. James Robinson is, is a product of a forced sexual encounter of a woman that was 41 years old. His mother was raped. He was born in the charity ward in Houston Medical Center. His mother tried to have an abortion and the doctor would not comply with her, so therefore James Robinson entered into the world. She run an ad in the paper to see who wanted this child and a pastor and his wife from Houston adopted James Robinson. 
A few years later, the mother got him back and took him to live with her in Austin, Texas. He lived in severe poverty, and finally his real dad showed back up on the scene. And when he was a young teenager, he almost took his alcoholic father's life. And then he went to visit his, his parents that adopted him, which was a, a man by the name of Pastor Hill who pastored a Baptist church. He led James to the Lord one night in a revival. And it was in that church that Betty's family moved to that area of Texas where he met his wife Betty on Life Today. What you may not know about James Robinson, that as a young teenager, he began to preach the gospel at age 18, 19, and he began to pack stadiums and indoor arenas. He was coined by the Baptist church to be the next Billy Graham, if not even greater than him. I'm trying to preach to you the track that I believe God's called us on, and it ain't some glamorous ride. I believe when God asked me where I wanted to be buried at, he was saying something to me in my heart. Oh, I love getting on the plane, especially the private flights. They make your flesh feel so great. But at the end of the day, listen to this. Legacy is not something you leave to someone. It's what you leave inside of someone. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm rolling a little bit, I think, Sam. You give me a B? Legacy is not things that you leave to people. It's something you leave inside of someone. To leave something inside of someone takes relationship and it takes being planted in a geographical location. So, so James was packing the stadiums out in the arenas, going to be the next Billy Graham. And he meets this set of missionaries who takes him to Africa. And he sees the depravity that is in Africa. And it breaks him. And he's moved with what? Compassion. I can't get off of this. Our city would change if the church was moved with compassion. What we are moved with is notoriety, seeing how many members, how much time, what can we build if we were just moved with compassion. Compassion don't involve things. It involves humanity. He's moved with compassion and he looks at the stage and he looks at the grandeur of the arenas and the stadiums and he leaves it all behind to sit on the couch with his wife Betty and look and cry at the camera and say they need our help. In his own words, more people today are coming through the Lord than in his first 20 years of ministry of packing out a stadium. I believe God is trying to show us a more excellent way on the earth. When Damon Thompson leaves the stage of grandeur to go live in a little town called, what's that town called? Bakersville, South Carolina. Batesburg. I told you I messed it up. So what are you saying? I just feel like God's digging deep into my heart to see... If you'll give up your dream, I'll give you a dream that's beyond any dream you thought you could ever have. And it may look like the long road, and it may look like a road less travel. But at the end, when your coffin's sitting at the front of the church, you'll have something left behind that'll never die. Because let me tell you this, the one-man show, when the candle burns out, it's over with, friend. It dies on the stage. But in legacy, it never dies. A dead man keeps speaking to his children's children's children, and his message never dies. The reason why Jesus' message has never died is because it wasn't about one man. He put it into 12 men who put it into 120, who put it into 500, and we're still carrying it today. That is legacy. Stand up with me. We're done for the day anyhow. <laughs> I want to give you the opportunity, friend. Listen, close your eyes right here for a moment. I want you to think. I remember when I was a young boy, one of my sister's best friends had a, shows you how, a little bit how old I am. How many members of skating rink days? Huh? Arcades and Pac-Mans. I remember a little boy. And remember them old high school boys be out there on the skates, lean down, they have a lighter in the pocket, striking it across the ground. We thought, it was a, my God, they, they cool. One of 
my sister's friends had a party, 16th party at the skating rink. My boyfriend was from Jessup. Catherine knew this young man. It was for him in a Grand Am. And someone swerved across the line and hit him head on and killed all four of those young boys. His father went through a tragic time. Later, he loses his wife to cancer. And a family farm that had been in their family for three generations, he loses it. And he himself wound up uh, getting killed in a car accident. And at his funeral that morning, the preacher preached his funeral. And this is one of the statements he made. He said, I can believe so-and-so is in the presence of God today because the cops said the seal of the liquor bottle in that car was not broken. I want to tell you that's the most dumbest, idiotic statement that has ever been made before a congregation. Whether the seal of the liquor bottle did not determine his future in eternity. What determined his future in eternity is who he had in his heart, friend, when he left the earth. I'm just trying to show you of a church that is legalistic versus one that is full of compassion. God is tender. You say, does, does, does God overlook our sin? That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm telling you this in his inaugural address in Luke chapter 4, 18. He said, I came to set the prisoner free and the captive free. That's two types of people. A prisoner is someone who's been sentenced by the judge into prison by their actions. And you will find that in Matthew chapter 18. The judge, God, is full of tenderness, does sentence his people to prison. And what sentences you there is called unforgiveness. But the captives is another group of people. Captives are people who believe a lie. If you take a U.S. soldier and he is captured in Iraq and they take off his, off his, uh, off his camouflage and all this and they put Afghan garbs on him, just because the garbs is on his body doesn't mean he's a soldier of Iraq. He's still a U.S. soldier. There's nothing that can change that. I can't get no help up in here. Y'all don't believe what I'm preaching. But if we believe God was tender, it would change our approach to him. It would change the way we see him. And it would change the way we see depravity around us. It would change the way we see sin. See, because the church is scared to death of sin, but Jesus was never afraid of it. Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He hung out with them so much, he said, they'll see me and they'll call me a wine bibber and a gluttonous. Jesus was here in Adel. He'd be preaching at the local pub. He sure would be in church. He'd be rebuking us. Oh, y'all, y'all, I'm telling you right now. Let the hate mail come on. Let the hate mail come on. You can email me at john at sparselfly.cc. Love to see you. Father, we thank you. Listen to me. I want you to step through the door. God loves you. I want you to leave this place knowing this. God not only loves you, but he, he's infatuated with you, and he likes you, friend. You are the apple of his eye. Nothing you've done this week or in your past or in your future will ever separate you from the love of God. I don't care who told you that. I'm quoting the Bible to you in Romans chapter 8. The, neither height, nor depth, nor love, power, power, sword, mountain, anything can separate us from the love of God. God is in love with you, friend. Father, I bless his people today. I bless his people today and I pray that they leave this house fully knowing that you are tender for you are tender towards us God you love us show us the father and you showed us God by sending Jesus and speaking to us in the language of a son God bless you all we'll see you in this house next Sunday don't forget on Wednesday night will be the night that we minister to kids God bless you all see you next week we hope you enjoyed our message of the week thanks for joining us our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.